and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast coming to you from us chaps at O3C Games. Us chaps are, in no particular order, me, Jonathan Dunn, number one, and number two, Chris Dow. It's actually Tears of the Kingdom. And we are chatting about our very favourite video games. We're just chatting about games. Games. Announcement. Announcement. Before we begin this episode, we would love to do the usual shout out, plea, begging, whatever you want. Delete is appropriate. Basically, we would really appreciate some support. Support comes in many, many different forms. First one, monetary. If you are in a position to do so, please do consider pledging a regular donation to us. You can do that via Patreon, patreon.com slash O3C Games. Starts from as little as £4 a month, but hey, if you are deep of pocket, then please feel free to indulge us with some of your wealth. We'll give you some perks, loads of bonus episodes, deleted scenes, outtakes, full video versions of these episodes this season, uncut and ad-free access to the Discord server. It's a great place to be. You could even send us a one-off donation. We appreciate that subscribing is... There's loads of things you need to subscribe to these days. So if you just think, actually, you know what? I want to just send you a few quid to say thanks. You can do that via our website, o3c.games. If you go to the support page, there's a one-off donation button via PayPal. We'd very much appreciate that. As I said, support comes in many different ways. If you can't support us financially, absolutely no problem. Consider sharing the podcast on social media. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Tell somebody about it in your local brewery. (laughs) These are all ways that you can support us, and we would be equally as appreciative of that. We are back. Hey, Chris. Back, back, back. Hello. Last week, we had our play day update. It was a middling week. Well, I say that. It was a lowering week. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the best week of, of play date games, but it made for good chat, at least. This week, we're going to be doing a little stopgap between now and our next Playdate update. We're going to tell you what we've been playing in the last week. We're also going to be reveling in the news of the uh, latest Nintendo Direct that's happened since the last time we recorded. And hey, let's, let's get into that. A quick rundown of the highlights. Inevitable trailers for stuff we knew were coming. Like Pikmin 4, Bayonetta Origins, Kirby's Return to Dreamland, The Advance Wars Remake, Octopath Traveler 2, and of course, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, There was was DLC and expansion pass reveals for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Dead Cells, Mario Kart 8, Splatoon 3, Fire Emblem Engage, and also the reveal of a new entry in the Professor Layton series being in development, and the big reveal of Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games being added to the Nintendo Switch online service. There was a nice smattering of indie games shown off, such as Tron, Identity. Oh, remember Tron? And that's coming from Mike Biffle of Thomas Was Alone fame. Yes. Yeah. Harmony, The Fall of Reverie from the developers of Life is Strange. And yeah. Sea of Stars, the forthcoming RPG from the developers of The Messenger. Then there were some absolute surprises, like a modern port of Ghost Trick, an obscure cult classic hit from the DS, coming to the Switch. An HD remaster of Baton Kytos 1 and 2. Two obscure cult classic hits from the GameCube. A sequel to Fantasy Life, an obscure cult classic from the 3DS, (laughs) officially the 73rd greatest game ever made. A new Samba de Amigo game, an obscure cult classic rhythm game based around monkeys with maracas. A remaster of We Love Katamari, an obscure cult classic game where you roll things up into balls until you consume the cosmos. And of course... The big announcement of the day for me, as for many, a full remaster of the original Metroid Prime, a cult classic from the GameCube. (laughs) (laughs) 
Chris, what were your particular highlights? Oh, I love a Nintendo Direct. It's honestly, as Celine Dion says at Christmas, these are special times. They are. I mean, there was a lot revealed in this one, as you've just run through. They covered a lot of ground as well. I liked that at the beginning, by the third or fourth game trailer, you messaged mm. our Discord group saying, who is this for? Because <laughs> yeah. we, we had back-to-back combos of Pikmin 4, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 expansion stuff, and then things like Fashion Dreamer out yeah. of nowhere. I'm not too proud to say I was half interested in something like Fashion Dreamer. Of course you were. I played a decent amount of the first Style Boutique on the 3DS. Ah, that's because, what it reminded me of, and I couldn't yeah, remember the name of it, yeah. It's, I don't think it's connected, it's a different developer, but it scratched a similar Animal Crossing sort of dress-up itch, yeah. as well as the Happy Home Designer sort of freeform goal-type gameplay loop, because people would go, I need a summer outfit, and then you'd pull together all the bits you had and make something cool. It's very unlikely I'm going to be shouting for Fashion Dreamer day one, but down the line or on a sale probably give it a go other big highlights as you've already mentioned the return of fantasy life yes the switch port of ds cult classic ghost trick yes and advanced wars finally getting a release date at long last after being delayed for a full year yeah now the war is over yeah, now, now that there's no more war <laughs> jesus christ nintendo come on but there were three games in particular i'm pretty interested to try out that i will list now samba de amigo i can't express how happy i was to see a long-forgotten Sega franchise like this make a return. It was one of the Dreamcast games I always coveted because the original came with a full-size set of Maraca controllers that tracked your shakes. Unbelievable. Um, and it was always meant to be a pretty solid rhythm game as well. Like After doing a bit of research, because I never owned them, these controllers were not, as I had previously assumed, like using an accelerometer or gyro sensor, but apparently they had ultrasonic transmitters inside them that communicated with a connected sensor bar to very accurately triangulate their position. Amazing. So who knows? Full disclosure, like I said, I didn't own it. I've never emulated it because I didn't think it would really work not having the controllers. But it's really nice to see Sega bring back a dormant character in series like this in a different frontline context to Sega and Sonic All-Star Racing or Tennis, which is the only places that Samba de Amigo has actually turned up recently. Do you remember 1-2 Switch and that ball rolling bit yeah. in there that was like with the HD rumble? Yeah. If they if, if they use HD rumble well enough to simulate what it feels like to shake a maraca with the Joy-Con, they could do that. They could, and I bet they don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I also didn't play this game. Like The original got ported to the Wii, and... I thought the controls would probably be too woolly on a Wiimote and Nunchuck. And I'm reasonably confident that the Switch is probably going to suffer the same issues with its Joy-Cons. But I want to support this sort of dumb game and product. So I will absolutely be seeing you all in Rio de Janeiro whenever the game releases this year. The second game I was quite interested in, in a direct full of surprise returns, I was quite shocked to see Atlas announce a remaster of the first three Etrian Odyssey dungeon Oh, games. yeah. Like these were previously DS only games. They reach a quite bananas value on the secondhand market these days. And although I'm not a grid based dungeon crawling aficionado by any means or metric, I've always been quite interested in this series, but put off digging into it by not having 40 or 50 pounds to spend on an old game I might hate. <laughs> you know, the gimmick of this series, as I understand it, has always been the live mapping you could do on the touchscreen using the stylus. And it seemed a real considered fit for a dual screen handheld. Like I always quite like that idea of having to meticulously draw in pathways like a sort of cartographer. You know, that's quite appealing as a different way to play this sort of game. Obviously, that's going to be lost for this port and remaster, or at least the way that it was kind of implemented on the DS. So we might end up having a conversation around release where we go, yeah, don't 
don't bother with this one. <laughs> but we'll have to see how Atlas kind of streamline and recontextualize some of its unique features to work on a single screen piece of hardware. Because I think it's coming to PlayStation, it's coming to Steam, like it's, it's getting a, a port across the board kind of thing, not just on Switch. Maybe my favorite of the didn't see that coming announcements of the show behind Fantasy Life was the remake of We Love Katamari. Oh, well. yeah. You know, the second game in that series. This is going to be the re-roll edition of the PS2 classic that was a sequel to the original Katamari Damacy. And it promises kind of similar tweaks to the re-roll edition of that game that was ported, I think, in like 2018. It was quite early in the yeah. Switch's life. I think it's going to have some new content, but I'm just really excited to revisit such an oddball game again. Does this mean we'll eventually see a re-rolled version of Beautiful Katamari, which is my personal favorite in the series? Don't know, because it's taken, what, five years for this version to materialize after the first. But perhaps if we check in, say, 2030, <laughs> maybe oh. then I'll finally have been able to retire my Xbox 360 disc to make way for a shiny cartridge on the Switch 2, or maybe just still the Switch, if Nintendo to ride it out, <laughs> ride it out. <laughs> like, for anyone that's never played a Katamari game, I'm not even going to bother explaining it. Just watch some footage, bask in the fact that its mechanics and aesthetics and writing and music all place this franchise in a crowd of exactly one. It really is a game in and of itself, a thing in and of itself, and it's a really good time. So I'm excited for these games as they come out this year. I definitely am intrigued by Etrian Odyssey. I played a bit of it originally on the DS, and it's got a similar-ish vibe to Shining the Holy Ark, which was like oh. my third favourite game of all time. First-person dungeon crawler. I mean, you don't manually make the map yourself, but that's such a key thing as, as you're exploring and uncovering the map and all of that stuff. I'll certainly keep an eye out on that. We love Katamari. I did enjoy Katamari Damacy re-roll, but I felt I just had to really just persist with the tank controls. Yeah. I just don't know why they don't put in normal controls, because... It'll be so much more fun. Weird controls are cool sometimes. Big highlight for me, Bait and Kytos remasters. I mean... Bananas. I had actually heard a little rumour floating around like last week. And I was like, I'm sure it would amount to nothing because those yeah. games were pretty niche and obscure. Yeah. I did play the first one, but I didn't really get on well with the card-based battle system, which was like the first time I'd really properly encountered that. Yeah. That's not true. Pokemon trading card game on the Game Boy Color. Ah. I did... But it didn't really feel like that because I was playing with so many familiar elements, I guess, in that. So it sort of made more sense to me quickly. And when I first played Bait and Kytos, I was a bit of a JRPG purist in my thinking and wanted classic turn-based combat or nothing at all. Yeah. Now I know better. I'm really looking forward to revisiting that first game and playing the second one for the first time because the games are absolutely stunning. They feature the music of Matoi Sakuraba working at possibly his absolute best, which is, yeah. I mean, really saying something. There's, I've got a tentative excitement for Fantasy Life. Long-time listeners will know that the original Fantasy Life featured on mine, Chris's, and Minty's lists in our original Top 100 lists in startlingly successive weeks as our, <laughs> was it, like 72nd, 73rd, and 74th favourite video like games. Something. Wonderful life sim and RPG game. Generally quite simple, but just really, really lovely and wonderfully satisfying and addictive game loop. Then there was a free-to-play sequel called 
Fantasy Life Online, released in Japan about five years ago. It eventually got translated and made its way over here. But in looking this up, I saw the servers have now been fully shut down as of last, w- last week. Jeez, it's been a real year for shutting live mm. service games. Did you know that Everybody's Golf is now offline? The PS4 one that I was playing. Yeah, the PS4 one. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's why I was racing to get the. I know I you didn't. Off. You didn't shut did up it. about it for weeks. <laughs> get. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, fancy life on mobile was shit. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it, it was. It was really, really bad. It, it took everything I loved about the game, like the Animal Crossing freemium game. Yeah, uh, it's just, just not right. Bunkum. Bunkum. But this new game does look to be a true sequel to that original game. It's called Fantasy Life I, The Girl Who Steals Time. And apparently there's a new time travel mechanic at the core of the gameplay, which I'm sure will prove to be really, really good fun and, and put like a, you know, a pretty new twist on on everything. The tentative excitement comes at the inclusion of that letter I in the title. Why not just call it Fantasy Life or Fantasy Life 2 or Fantasy Lives Fantasy Life I, the letter I is synonymous with late 90s, early noughties online tech. Yeah. So I really, 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 really hope that they're not continuing their pursuit of a freemium live service based approach. Until we get hard evidence of that, I won't fully toot my horn of triumph. Much in the same way that I was holding off on a full erection when (laughs) Animal Crossing uh, New New Horizons was announced until I knew for sure that they weren't doing a freemium one so we'll see we'll see yeah i'm also really psyched to have the game boy game boy advance games on my switch as it's just nice to have the official versions of these things they've put a lot of love and care into the presentation of these with like the different game boy hardware emulation options to give you all the different colorizations you could wish for and it all looks stunning on the oled display as well which means that if i want to revisit one of these classic games i'm more likely to do it now on the switch instead of emulating it on my steam deck even alone in the dark, I imagine, might look okay on the OLED, to be honest. What <laughs> I, a fucking curveball that was. I cannot believe that. The thing that didn't make any sense to me, like, with that inclusion, obviously, they have historically included quite a few, like, third-party games and just chucked them onto the online service for all of their platforms that they're now emulating. But every other game they announced across the, the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, and the Game Boy Advance, even the stuff they were speculatively saying is coming later, Yeah, they are all, like, 10 out of 10 games. Yeah. It's a remarkable selection. Like, if you're into kind of wanting to play some retro handheld stuff, this is about the best collection you're ever going to get. Yeah. And then they were like, and here's two out of ten, Alone in the Dark. Yeah. <laughs> like the only thing such I can a strange one is I know there is a little bit of difference, a bit of regional difference with some of these games. Like, in Japan, they've got a couple of different games. They've got, like, a Mahjong yeah. game and some Fire Emblem games. And I wonder whether or not it was like, oh, they had something else lined up. But from, like, I, I, who, who released, who published Alone in the Dark? I think it was Infogrames back in the day, but I have no idea now. So it could be that, like, <laughs> whoever owns that were going to have something lined up and then they were like, oh, actually, no, we can't do that because we're going to do this instead. Uh, so actually all we've got left we can offer you is Alone in the Dark to plug the gap. <laughs> the only thing we have left. <laughs> the only thing we have left. It's the only, it's the only, it's the only explanation. <laughs> it's bottom of the barrel stuff. But this Direct was really only about one thing for me, really. The Metroid Prime remastered reveal genuinely took my breath away. And this is coming from someone who has literally just finished playing the community modded HD versions of those original games. 
And I went on record a couple of weeks ago saying that the community mods that the Prime Hat community has conglomerated would surely be better than anything Nintendo would ever do if they ever did get off their asses and release a modern port of Metro Prime Trilogy. I have never been so wrong. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> From the first few seconds of footage of Metro Prime Remastered, it was clear that this was no mere quick port job with a few upscale textures. It looked like a full remake with all the mod cons that you could ever want. They also announced that you would be able to buy it immediately after the direct on the eShop with a physical version to follow. But me being me, I'll tell you more about this later on when we talk about what we've been playing this week, because bullets have left guns quicker, uh, which applies to both my purchasing of the game and subsequent completion of the game. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about this then. (laughs) What are you buying? What are you playing? Chris, what have you played this week? I've played a few more games than usual this week, owing to coming down with COVID and missing a few days of work. Whoop-de-whoop. Yeah, whoop-de-whoop. I mean, I felt mostly fine on this particular corona cycle, which is positive. And luckily, the one thing I've not had at all is I haven't had any headaches. Like when I last had COVID, I, I was really quite unwell. I felt like dog shit. And if someone said, do you want to play a game this I'd be like, no, thank you. I would like to sit and stare at the dark wall. <laughs> like it wasn't conducive to having fun. But this time, you know, honestly, I can deal with being a bit wheezy. I can deal with feeling a bit lethargic as long as I don't have any pain in the old noggin. So I've naturally played a bit more Fairy Solitaire. I've played a bit more Horizon 4, but I don't need to mention those again right now. So I'll talk about some of the new stuff that I haven't brought up on the show before. One game I've been playing is called Applejack. (laughs) I always like seeing the faces I get from you when I just say a series of words. (laughs) It's a 2D puzzle platformer that takes pretty heavy influence from the lifting and chucking of Super Mario Brothers 2 or Mario Advance 1 for any GBA heads like you, <laughs> yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. I played this game a decent amount back in the Xbox Live indie games days as it was one of the standouts on that service. And it's been a lot of fun to revisit via Steam. You know, in each stage, you need to eliminate all the enemies by picking up and throwing them at other enemies. And at first, this is really straightforward with every enemy easily dispatching any other But then after a few tutorial stages, baddies become color-coded and then only take out like-colored guys and gals. And it's fun and it's cheap. And the Steam version also bundles together its sequel, Applejack 2. So it's decent value too for like a few quid or whatever it is. Playing this game though has sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole thinking about all the other Xbox Live indie games that I remembered or missed or now that have just been completely lost to time. Many of these Xbox Live indie games titles are totally lost to time unless you have them already installed on an Xbox 360. But handily, I found a curated list online that basically brings together almost every game that has been migrated from the indie service to Steam over the years. Like someone is just maintaining this as an ongoing thing. There are some bigger names like Bleed that I had you play this season. But there's also a whole bunch of others that I picked up for quite cheap just to give a go at some point and hope they run on the Steam Deck, like Hypership Out of Control, I remember having fun with, a platform game called Volchaos, a strategy game called Flotilla, a party game called Mount Your Friends, a sort of run and gun contra sort of game called Weapon of Choice, and loads of others that I'd largely forgotten about until seeing them on this list. I will let you know how they hold up as I hopefully get around to exploring them. But if nothing else, though, I'm just glad that so many of these developers were able to 
escape their games being landlocked to a long deceased service and aging console. Talking about games being locked to ancient old machines, did you make good on your promise to start and presumably finish Metroid Prime 3 this week? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I did. Of course I did. How else do you expect me to have found time to start and complete Metroid Prime Remastered? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Firstly, what an absolute gear change uh, Metroid Prime 3 is from Metroid Prime 2. Simplified, streamlined, whilst also bulking out the lore. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the law bulking outiness of it all with you frequently working alongside other people, other bounty hunters, because like I said, I think last week and probably the week before, like I love the isolation in Metroid games. Yeah. It feels like it's a, a good stab at, at bringing the series more into the mainstream lane alongside stuff like, you know, Halo and, and series like that. But ultimately I just want to venture off on my own and explore, which thankfully this game does allow you to do for the most part and also then the times that you're brought back in to fight alongside the federation you do feel very badass as you're just sort of plopped in to save the day amongst a bunch of well i assume peasants (laughs) metroid (laughs) peasants the porting of the motion controls through prime hack is absolutely perfect oh good Absolutely incredible. Every action you may need to do, fit like a physical action, has been automated into a single button press. So yeah. to use your grapple beam to turn levers instead of like flinging it, catching something and then pulling it back and twisting it, you lock on, you press B or, you know, whatever the equivalent is, or lock on and pull down on the analog stick to pull something out. And it puts the entire string of actions into one button press. Like, I don't really know yeah. how that's done in terms of fiddling the back end uh, to get it to register certain sets of movements all through one button press, but it's absolutely lovely and much, much tighter and quicker than it would be if you were having to play charades to, to get through it in its original form. <laughs> yeah. I didn't expect such a graphical leap up with this game as there is, because like I know the Wii isn't, really that much more powerful than a GameCube. No. Uh, but no. with this being made for widescreen, there's plenty more stuff on display at one time. It's got much, much improved particle and lighting effects. Uh, they all look a lot sharper and cooler, and the environments have like a certain height to them. I, I guess they've got like much higher ceilings than before, which makes like the atmosphere just feel just a bit more sort of vast and cavernous and intimidating. But the gameplay is where it's at. And they've made so many improvements to the gameplay and addressed almost specifically a lot of the criticism I had with Metro Prime 2 in terms of finding new and interesting functionality to the game's central mechanics of your visors, uh, your weapons, your abilities, even the screw attack, which I, I, well, it is really poorly executed in Metro Prime 2. It does return, but it has been refined to make it like a lot less wonky like it's it's much more intelligently used it's got a much bigger sort of buffer area so that you know the game understands what you're trying to do and will just allow you to do that even if you don't specifically get you know that accurate with your jumping in your trajectory and stuff i still don't know if it really works in 3d to be honest like I, i think i'd much rather have had maybe like a not a triple jump to go on top of your double jump, but maybe like a, a jet boost upgrade to your space boots to allow you to like maybe boost your yeah. double jump for a short period of time. Because there's a similar thing in Metro Prime 2. You get that, basically, but you can only use it when you're underwater, which is annoying. Otherwise, the screw attack is just another ability you have to go sort of in and out of because you have to go into third person to it. And it just, you lose some of the fluidity of movement that you have. 
the visor situation has been simplified, thankfully, after what I feel to be a bit of a misuse of this function in two. You've still got your scan visor, which allows you to gather data on literally everything in the world. That continues to be just really fun and great. Then the second visor in Metroid Prime 3, you get like right near the start of the game. And it's got a significantly different use than anything seen before, because basically it allows you to remotely control your gunship to help you out in various situations. And it's it's really, really cool. There's a big sort of puzzle solving use for it. Um, So if there are things you can get your gunship to come and pick things up and move them around once you sort of unlock its grapple function. But it does have its uses in combat too, with you being able to command the ship to like rain down missiles. And it's also key to your fast travel with you being able to call on your ship. If you reach a landing pad or something like that, somewhere where you can summon your ship, you can then call it in and you can jump in and fly off to another landing pad on that planet or jet off to a different planet entirely. And it just sort of helps speed that up and just get around a bit faster and rather than just having an out and out fast travel system then you've got the weapons in this game and literally it's exactly what i said last week that i wanted iterative missile things iterative upgrades yeah Yeah, yeah. iterative upgrades that's that's what i wanted and it is it's a really really good way around the lack of buttons on the wii controller because you don't have to worry about finding four extra buttons to switch between different beams for different uses instead your weapons get upgraded so your missiles become ice missiles and that means you know there's already another button for that so it means that if you, you can do cold related things with that uh you know your your main power beam gets a plasma upgrade to allow heat related things to happen and then you get like a more powerful beam i think it's called the nova beam it's great because you just get that sense of increased power with every upgrade instead of increased admin yeah the new sort of i guess i call it a gimmick but it's not the new mechanic in this game is basically a phase on fuel hyper mode which makes you super powered for a short burst of time And it's really fun. And you also need to find a tactical balance for it because its use is fairly limited. And unless you only switch to it for like a couple of seconds, you do have to sacrifice an energy tank to use it, which is basically one whole health bar. And it means, well, for one, there's a lot more uses for your energy tank upgrades than in the previous games, because like ultimately, once you've got like seven or eight energy tank upgrades, you're probably not going to die anymore. Yeah. So it means that like having like 12 as your maximum, it does feel a bit redundant. So it's nice to see, you know, another use for them. And like I said, you do really need to sort of like get that balance right, especially in boss fights, because, you know, if you want to go into a room, switch to hyper mode and blast out a few enemies, crack on, you know, but in boss modes, like losing a whole health bar, if you go into hyper mode at the wrong time where the boss can't be hurt or something like that, then, you know, you've just lost a whole health bar for no reason, Waste. essentially. Wastefully. Wastefully. And you end up unlocking equivalent abilities to use whilst in hyper mode. So, like, a hyper morph ball, hyper missiles, hyper grapple, which all do, like, really cool and different powerful things. And again, it's another clever way around getting more variety out of less buttons on the controller. Yeah, The world is great. It's got loads of visual variety between the different planets that you go to. There's no real like copy and paste. Each planet will have a different theme and a different scheme. So you're not seeing the same doors on every planet. (laughs) You know, you've got like this steampunk uh, cloud city style homeland of the Chozo, I think like originally, or you've got the, the acid rain doused homeworld of the space pirates. There's like the Federation command ship, which is all very slick and Star Trek-y. 
then you find like an abandoned Federation ship that feels like it's like ghost ship drifting in forgotten space. A couple of other places you go to as well. It's, it's great. And, and even though like having to travel around the different worlds, it is a bit of a faff. It does at least feel worth it when you get to discover all these really, really cool and interesting places. Yeah. I liked a lot of the story, even though it, it does mean you have less of that isolation that I really do like. But the wider Federation stuff is quite interesting, as is getting more depth on like the spice spice the space pirates history <laughs> um i've been watching too much dune the spice trade and you do see a couple of other rival bounty hunters which are they are actually different to the ones that you come across in metro prime hunters and the ones in metro prime 3 they make for fantastic boss fights because those bounty hunters inevitably get corrupted and they turn on you and they've got wildly different mechanics and abilities to what samus has they're really interesting and really cool and it's also cool to see like this phase on related story reach a bit of a conclusion as there are some things that cast like metro prime one and two in a different light slightly and, and things that sort of link up those games and uh, yeah it's great it's a fantastic conclusion to the trilogy and I know the gap between three and four is possibly <laughs> infinite. Yeah. There are a lot of really exciting prospects for Metro Prime 4 if they do continue and try and like refine and improve the formula and mechanics in the game. Like, even though I think Metro Prime 2 is weaker than those two games, it's still like a phenomenal trilogy of games. What are your out of 10 rankings of the three? 10, 9, 8. No, yeah, 10, 9, 8. So two still getting an 8. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think. Pretty solid. Yeah. Well done, Nintendo. Well done, Retro Studios. What else have you played? I've been playing another old game. You know, this is definitely a week of kind of replaying old stuff, it seems. I've been back on the PlayStation 2 version of The Sims this week. What's your <laughs> Like, you might remember me and Georgia playing this way back when via the PlayStation 3. But this was yet another title like Earth Defense Force where my save was lost owing to that particular console, Fry. Oh, yeah. And it's taken until now for me to want to start a fresh game. Like there's something about seeing Georgia play The Sims as much as she does, that there's always something in my mind that's like, I want to take part. I want to I do something to take part, but obviously not in the way that she invests hundreds of hours into building or, you know, whatever she does. She, she's doing it right now. She's in the other room on The Sims as we speak. But anyway, Georgia has been very hands off this time, which has made my own progress quite slow as I don't have the knowledge that she does to know that, oh, well, if you buy this fridge, that will refill your hunger gauge more than this one. Or knowing things like, well, if your sim is outgoing, then they will enjoy watching this genre of film more than this one on the television. Like it's all this granular stuff that she has just built up over the years that I just don't know. It makes it a difficult, difficult game. You know, the single player mode asks you to help a single character of your own design move through a series of houses and life stages, like moving out of your, your mum's house, living in a bachelor pad style party house, then shacking up the friends and an eventual partner. The challenge, as always in The Sims, comes from managing the meters of your character to make sure they don't piss themselves or starve to death or to fall asleep on the kitchen floor, etc. You know, all the all the classics. Yeah, or just survive your 20s, as that's also known. Exactly. I mean, what stood out to me during this playthrough in particular is how well The Sims, or at the least this particular story-based iteration of The Sims, captures the feeling that life is an almost impossible balancing act. <laughs> like, everything is obviously exaggerated in a sim-length day because you have so much less time to get anything done but all of your micro decisions come at a huge cost sometimes so if you want to keep your fun meter high because who doesn't like having fun it means that you're probably not going to get promoted at work because you won't have the time to work on your body or charisma or knowledge stats that your career is going to demand 
if you want to let your sim have a nice relaxing bath, because I like a bath, you know, you're trying to boost your comfort meter, you're trying to give them a nice evening. It means you probably won't have time to cook a fulfilling meal. <laughs> so the next day you're going to end up fucking starving for your whole day at work and your sim is then rattier and then your social stats come down. It's all just, you know, give and take constantly. Couple this with the fact that sims have to work seven days a week. <laughs> they don't get weekends. There's a Tory government, I assume. Yeah. I, I assume it is very, very right-leaning, very authoritarian. <laughs> and it paints a really compelling, though bleak, picture of human existence. <laughs> like, Whilst I've been playing this, a quote that I have kept coming back to is Mark in Peep Show preparing breakfast, I think in the final series, and he's thinking to himself, butter the toast, eat the toast, shit the toast. God, <laughs> God lies relentless. <laughs> And I don't know if any game that I've ever played has captured that feeling as well as this strange PlayStation 2 spin-off of The Sims, honestly. <laughs> so in a weird way, as clunky as it is, as annoying as it's been to make progress, it's worth playing. I think it's something that is worth playing because it really does capture a feeling in a very, very particular way that I just, I can't think of any other examples of. Incredible. Do you want to hear about Metro Prime Remastered? Go on. Now, I know that I tend to verge on the villainous side when it comes to how <laughs> aggressively I play video games. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're villainous. That's a good word. <laughs> but even <laughs> and even even I have my limits of how much I'll play a game, how many times I'll play it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it says a lot that I've just finished playing 50 hours of Metroid Prime gaming, and yet, honestly, couldn't play Metroid Prime Remastered quick enough. <laughs> I was... <laughs> beyond blown away by the reveal trailer and i couldn't wait to see it running in person especially on that deep and crisp oled display and i'm saying this now this is the best looking game on the switch wow absolutely honestly it meets my expectations of what a full from the ground up remake of metro prime would be yeah it looks like it's been made in a brand new engine mostly because of just how stunning the lighting is in the game how crisp so many details are in the game that just weren't there in the original to be enhanced. Like the conceit of you being inside Samus's visor means that some of the visual effects like rain and steam on your visor look even better than ever. There's just brilliant detail in the rain, especially where like you can even see the raindrops bouncing off your gun. It looks lovely and it feels very reactive because like if you then look up, the raindrops start to run down the gun. Oh shit. It's, it's just, yeah, honestly, honestly. Like, what are they doing? What? <laughs> it's a simple thing, but it's entirely indicative of the level of yeah. care that's been shown to this remaster. And that is absolute precision in every element. Like when you look at side-by-side -side comparisons of the original game, you realize how much every element has been totally redesigned. The grass and plant life is so much more detailed and realistic. Like the waterfalls look like water falling instead of just you know like solid blocks of cling film the rock and metal formations are just covered in beautiful texture and detail it's fucking insane <laughs> it's absolutely insane they've even changed the entire visual effect of the thermal visor so it's not just oh here's the screen in purple it actually looks and works like a thermal visor it's got a lot of motion blur to it it's, it's a lot yeah. more fuzzy than it is by just going boop is it is purple and as such it feels so much more it's just so much more compelling they've also included several control options so that you can play the game 
however you want. I went for the standard, well, it's not standard, but it's the it's the default dual stick controls, which work yeah. really, really well for me. But you can do motion controls like Metro Prime Trilogy on the Wii. You can do gyro enhanced aiming, which I know a lot of people like, or you can do classic controls if you want the original GameCube single stick controls, which I definitely couldn't go back to now. But apparently, yeah. I was talking to Minty, that's how Minty's chosen to play it. And he said really? like he's he's really glad he persisted with it. And and like it does mean that you don't have the face buttons to with one press change freely between your visors and your beams at any time. It does mean that you need to hold the R button to then use the D-pad to change the other ones. But it worked absolutely fine for me. It was much, much nicer than how it works in Prime Hacks because you need to use like motion controls to, to change and point in a direction. So there was like three inputs to change your beam and your visor as opposed to two inputs to change your beams, one input to change your visors now. Yeah, okay. But there's also some accessibility options, including colorblind filters. Hey, yeah, Jonathan I know, done. I know. Which is great. No more wasting ammo on doors. Although there's no ammo in this game. But also, like, I saw a criticism online. Like, one of the original designers said, oh, they haven't got the doors right in this game. They've got the alpha setting wrong on the textures, so you can't see the detail of the doors. And one, shut up. I don't care. <laughs> and two, I was really impressed with how much clearer the doors looked so you can see their colour. Yeah. Just without any colourblind filters on. And I worry that if they the alpha is the like the opacity of things if they reduce the opacity of certain layers of it i don't think it's going to be as clear to see the colors so i don't know if they yeah. made a mistake or whether or not they just went actually this is clearer because it is better crucially at its heart it's still exactly the same game it's retained all of that gameplay wonder that the original game had that's entirely untouched and rightly so because it didn't need changing or even tweaking at all i've completed the game on normal difficulty I'm not far off that save file being a full 100% save file, but yeah. now I've unlocked hard mode. I might start afresh, make that my 100% file because Go on. this game, already a masterpiece, has now somehow been made even better and I can't wait to play it all again, again. It's insane. <laughs> Three it's times absolutely in insane. Uh, yeah. Basically. If, if they continue to remake Metro Prime 2 and 3 to this quality... I'll be blaffing my flops everywhere. <laughs> I mean, my feeling is they will, because this rumor has been around for ages that it was just going to be the trilogy. A quick port. Was going to be ported over. Bish, bash, bosh. There you go. And we waited every direct for them to go. And now, shadow dropping this evening, here's the trilogy. And I was shocked when they said it's just number one. So like when that announcement came up, I think I put a big like lull in our, in yeah. our Discord chat. Because I really felt like it was going to be a disappointment because people had kind of hyped it up to be this bigger package. But by the sounds of it, that's been the way to go to actually give yeah. it the care and attention it needed. So perhaps... I mean, without looking at the graphics, I mean, you know I'm one not to say like graphics or everything, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But if you don't look at the graphical improvements of the game and you heard Metro Prime 1 on the eShop for £35, yeah, rightly, you're pissing yourself. Yeah, But when you see it, Fucking hell, it's worth every penny. I mean, I'm, I'm very tempted to buy the physical edition when it comes out in February. You better fucking do. In the meantime, like, watch a graphical comparison because yeah. it is... Yeah. It's, it's fucking mind-blowing. Well done, Retro Studio. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's clear they're not working on four at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? 
And also to fill the dead space in my life, I've picked up a secondhand copy of the Callisto Protocol, which is... You've got to calm down. You've got to calm down on this space horror isolation thing. It's great. I love it. Callisto Protocol is by the guy who directed the original Dead Space. There we go. I'll pick my way through it. It's meant to be pretty good, if not like very original. You know how I said that like Dead Space is like Resident Evil in space? Yeah. Well, the Callisto Protocol is like Dead Space. <laughs> Do you want to know the only other thing I've played this week? Yeah. Have you played anything else? I've played one more thing, and this is essentially going to be the last piece of bread in the Metroid Big Mac that we've had today, isn't it? <laughs> we, we've yeah. top and tailed. <laughs> So you've got all like the juicy filling and the meat, you know, you've got the lovely burger sauce and the top, the pickles, the onions, everything else. I'm just giving you fucking bread, bread, bread. This is a weird one even for me, I think. I've got really quite into Tom Clancy's The Division. Okay. And it's an open world third person shooter that came out in 2016. It's set in New York in the aftermath of a flu pandemic when martial law has been imposed to attempt to quell like rebel groups and rioters and whatever else you know, attempting to to control a largely derelict and deserted city by that point. I don't know why I picked this up again. I played the opening hours of this game at launch on the PlayStation 4, but I dropped it pretty quickly because I wasn't that interested in the sort of content drip feed of the always connected game that this was looking like. But playing now via the Steam Deck years after all new events have stopped being added, I'm actually really enjoying just sweeping the Ubisoft TM map of icons and events you know, shoot these guys, collect these mobile phones, return these items, defend this base. It's all pretty simple stuff, but it feels good. It looks nice. And remarkably, if I did want to play online with people, there's still a group of regular players that you can team up with when stages get a bit tough, just bopping around the map alongside you. What I've really found interesting though, I think the thing that's really made me stick with it, beyond the mildly problematic Tom Clancy and narrative that has all civilians become like a shoot on site threat in this world (laughs) because we probably wouldn't handle a pandemic like that as we've seen in the last few years playing this game post real world pandemic you know seeing it in a new sort of window of our own COVID response because obviously like I said ours wasn't quite as violent as that depicted in the game both in terms of loss of life thankfully but also in terms of military response But the world building here in the posters and displays that really predict almost all of our hands, face, space style messaging that we used, it's really prescient that this was a few years before. And it's surprisingly affecting, like watching the introduction movie to this game as they're kind of like doing that sort of uh, Adam Curtis style, you know, world's falling apart and here's a load of stock footage to kind of cut together in in a certain way. It It was quite... I don't know. It really got to me in a weird way because we, we've lived through a chunk of this in real life. So, you know, especially that I've been playing this whilst essentially being off with the virus <laughs> that yeah. very much turned our own cities and towns into admittedly less violent ghost towns. It's been a strange experience. I won't lie and suggest I'm going to finish a gargantuan game like this because even ignoring all the online player versus player stuff, there's probably a hundred hours of missions and content to work through. But it has been surprisingly satisfying to play. And it would definitely pick up the rice pudding label from a few weeks back in terms of something that I'm just enjoying little bites of mm. and feeling quite compelled to just keep going back. Creamy spoonfuls. Yeah, little little spoonfuls. The shooting satisfying. Upgrading gear feels a bit like Fancy Star Online. You're just constantly subbing in better stuff again and again. The little pockets of world building via flavor text or voice notes or these like 3D echoes of civilian clashes are all really cool. 
And it's just been really easy to log in, complete two missions, and then log out. I think New York City in this game as well looks really good. Like if Spider-Man nailed the verticality of New York, the division did a great job prior to that showing the street level sort of grime and detritus. You know, you've got the rows of brownstone terraces. You've got all the rest of the compact shoulder to shoulder street level architecture that makes up New York. You've got the flashy bits like in Times Square and things like that. It's all wrapped in a dynamic snow system as well. That means that visibility sometimes is close to zero as you're trying to pick off distant enemies through a snowy fog. And you've got like snowflakes swirling quite convincingly in the air. Like it's a cool game. And again, in a sale, I think I probably picked up the ultimate edition or whatever you want to call it for about eight, nine pounds. Like what I've really found for really sort of getting more involved in the steam architecture and the steam world, as it were, since having the steam deck is just, there is so much to play at such ludicrously cheap prices. If you're picking things up in sales that I could never get through a 10th of my library and yet I'm still adding to it because it feels like I'm missing out to not add some of these things to it. So that then when I sit down one day and go, oh, do you remember the division? It's like, of course I do. I bought it four years ago and it's just sat in the library <laughs> and it's ready to play. And that's really fun for me, at least. So there we are. That was your Metroid Big Mac. <laughs> Why don't you hop on social media and tell us what you've been playing in the last week? What did you make of the Nintendo Direct? What particular announcements piqued your respective interests? We're on social media at O3C Games on everything. So get in touch. Why not? Why not? Next week, we will be returning with a Playdate update. It's which... a Playdate. Yeah, we're going to be playing Saturday Edition and Star Sled and um, looking really looking forward to uh, playing those and talking about them. In the meantime, check out our website, o3c.games. You can reach out to us individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges. And we'll see you same time, same place. I mean, given the fact that you can listen to this podcast whenever and wherever, we will not almost certainly statistically not meet you at the same time and same place next week. Horse shit. <laughs> <laughs>